Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Um, our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, I'd like to welcome Dan to the show this afternoon. Hi, Dan. G'day, Bill. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, Dan's a compulsive gambler, and he's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, so, Dan, we usually start off talking about childhood and the things that influenced you. So, what was your early family life like? Look, it was really good. It was actually really, really good. Uh, beautiful, loving parents. A um, couple of older brothers that you know really looked out for me. Uh, very, very close. Uh, very close family, and we are still, still today. So yeah, the family life was was fantastic. Uh, my early school years, yeah, not not so great. Not so great at all. So what was the problem for you? Uh, for me, I was uh, I had one friend and he left and I was uh, just a fat, lead, loner kid, really, which um, until getting into recovery, I didn't realise anything about my childhood trauma. I thought I had a great upbringing and I thought that, you know, I don't have any childhood traumas. Um, but then I actually understood what that word meant and, you know, dived a little bit deeper into my um, into my life as a kid and and realised that, hey, this is where it's all stemmed from. So, yeah, the f- family life was, you know, perfect. My, my dad's got his Order of Australia medal. He does so much for, you know, I was just brought up in such a loving environment and um, great morals, great values. But, yeah, that was one part of my childhood, but the other part of it was sort of like that, that social interaction wasn't um, wasn't great for me. Yeah. So would you say you're a socially awkward kid? No, not at all. I was very outgoing, uh, very confident, um, and I wouldn't let anything really bother me. I was sort of like I was very happy-go-lucky and um, definitely not socially awkward. Uh, just, just, yeah, didn't wasn't able to, to make friends uh, just due to, you know, just being um, – it's, it's yeah, just being fat and bullied, really. <laughs> it's what I boil down to. I can laugh about it now, but um, yeah, I mean, I didn't think I was that bad of a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's often it's often hard for people to um, to make friends with somebody who's being bullied because they fear they'll get bullied themselves. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Look, look, I had a couple of couple of little friends here and there, but um, you know, looking back. You, you need someone to lean on. You need, you know, you need a best friend. You need someone. You need that connection. Yeah. So couldn't your brothers help? My brothers are eight and ten years older than me, so. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, they, they, yeah, they weren't really. My, my my brother that's um eight years up. He um he could a bit. He helped me here and there, but um yeah, they my, they left pretty much when um. You know, off to uni, and, and I, so I grew up in Launceston, and uh, yeah, they'd pretty much left the nest as soon as they turned eighteen, pretty much. Ah, oh, that's an interesting connection. I was born in Launceston. Ah, look out! <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, look, it's a beautiful place to uh, to grow up in, and, and I believe retire in. But um, yeah, I had to had to get out of there in between. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I left. I left when I was about seven, I think. Um, yeah. Um, so, what did, did your parents sort of pick up on the fact that you were being bullied at school? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I was actually thinking of this just the other day. I was like, "What? Yeah, I, I wonder." 
I don't remember a lot about my childhood. And I don't know if that's just because I sort of block that part away. You know, some some bits I tap into. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't really, there wasn't any sort of like events in terms of um, swapping schools because I was actually speaking to a friend the other day and, and they, they, they were being bullied at school um, and they moved schools just because of that. Um, I actually found that, you know, when I was in sort of year 10, I, I started making really like some of my closest friends that I, that I have now, I made them from other schools. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, um, yeah, they were, they were very well aware of it. Um, just, yeah, I don't know if there was sort of like any interventions. I, I don't want to talk about bad about my mum, dad. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, it, there is a thought what what was actually done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. When I was growing up, it was um, parents didn't sort of get involved too much, but there, there wasn't so much helicopter parenting. Parenting, it was more, it's more you're on your own and yeah. you, know, you had to make your own way, I guess. Yeah. 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 So at, at school then, um, were you good at school? <laughs> Not really, no, no. Um I didn't really, yeah. I get. I didn't love school in the in my later years. I um, I really thrived at tourism and hospitality. Uh, won awards for in TAFE in, in year ten, a year eleven for, for my, you know, um, tourism and hospitality. Um, so that's where I sort of saw my my life leading. Uh, I, I did um, fall through, and, and this has a lot to do with my gambling story as well. Fell through six metres of scaffolding in year 11 and uh, fractured my back and compressed my disc in my vertebrae. And I was out of school for a few months in year 11, uh, which knocked my schooling around a lot. Not saying that I was fantastic at studying and, uh, you know, putting the effort in before that, but that definitely did, um, you know, play, play a massive role in, in my education. Yeah. Oh, I must have been a pretty big setback, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was. was. Well, I suppose if you had a back injury, you probably got put on painkillers, did you? Well, well, I did at the, at the time um, and basically, they, you know, I prescribed tramadol but I never take it. I just learned to, to manage it. And there were certain operations that my, uh, my specialist said that, that could be done but that wears off over time and the pain comes back tenfold. So, yeah. Like, look, just strengthen your core. You just got to be careful with what you do. Um, obviously, the fractures in my spine they sort of healed, but the compression in my discs is just going to be lifelong. So, um, yeah, at the time there was there was you know some sort of indication for for that pain through the, the early stages, but sort of just trying to trying to manage it from there, and, and, and that's what I do still to this day. Yeah. Uh, I'll just change the subject a bit. So what was your first exposure to gambling? What Did your family gamble? Yeah, so look, no, my, I actually first started out playing. My, my family's big on cards, like playing card games, 51 and um, all different types of cards. And, and we did that. I did that at an early age, you know. We'd, we'd catch up, uh, you know, all, all the family at school holidays or we'd go on holiday um, somewhere we'd, we'd always be playing cards and I remember actually gambling with like one and two cent pieces um, obviously not distant um, at, at that time they were just yeah gambling with, with that um, just within the family but none of my actual family is are gamblers as such like they won't yeah, yeah. Um, but after that I think maybe when I was like 15 or 16, um, I think I was with my nan um, at the Launceston Country Club Casino, just, you know, we'd have to be having a coffee and she'd put on a, a keno bet for me. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of like my, my first little uh, real gamble, I guess. Yeah. Did you win? Can't remember. <laughs> but I tell you what, I wanted to. I wanted <laughs> money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I guess did you seek out gambling or not? When I turned 18, I, you know, I had, 
had some good mates that, that loved the horses, that loved the punt, loved the beer. Um, and I, I did six months of, of uni um, in, in in education uh, for teaching. Uh, but my, my best mate and I, we were uh, we were at the uni bar <laughs> putting but, putting bets on and having beers instead of, you know, do, doing the work. And our, our lecturer goes, Dan, um, maybe uni's not for you. So, uh, yeah, gambling, I guess, uh, got in the way of, of my early, early, you know, sort of those, those six months of uni. Yep. Um, I then moved over to uh, to Florida in America and worked over there for, for a couple of years on a hotel management training program and never gambled over there. Um, didn't, didn't have the urge. Uh, yeah. At that stage, it was just, um, you know, sort of alcohol and, and partying and having a good time, but yeah. no actual urge for gambling at that stage. So did you have any other problems? Did you have any drug or alcohol problems? Not at that stage. Alcohol was, yeah, there was a lot of alcohol involved. Um, not every day as in like I, I needed to wake up and have a drink, but a lot of partying that happened in America. Um, and I know I got back and I had some liver problems. The, I went to the doctor. I had acid reflux. I couldn't keep anything up. And the doctor was like, yeah, you're very close to having cirrhosis of the liver. Right. Uh, you need to have a break. Uh, so I think I had six months off. Um, and then and then moved to Melbourne and then yeah that's that's when life got uh, got to be crazy for me when I moved to Melbourne. Uh, but yeah, no no drugs, no drugs, no um, and yeah, just alcohol partying. Yeah. So what about relationships then? Yeah, uh, there weren't really any to be honest. I, I had one in Launceston sort of like when I was eighteen, but. Um, yeah, I was just I was traveling and and being single and free and no no sort of real serious relationships until I was I guess 21, 22. So did you find that good? Was that a was that a good thing? Uh, yeah, look, it, it felt nice, but I still wasn't. There was looking back at it now, I could see that I just wasn't right within myself. Um, I was always seeking something else. I was always trying to get outside of myself and, and find that next high, that next level of, um, you know, extreme dopamine for me, and, and a relationship definitely wasn't that. Um, so, yeah, there wasn't really any break with, with relationships, you know, work, with, yeah, it was always just trying to find that um, that next hit in whatever it may be. Yeah. So what what were you doing to get that? Yeah. So that's when um, I guess that's when everything around around twenty one, twenty two is like when I first took my first drug um, and really started hitting the gambling pretty hard as well. Um, so, you know, whether I'd be living paycheck to paycheck, you know, I'd pay my rent. I would, um, you know, I wouldn't really worry about food too much. It would be all about drinking and gambling. Um, and at that stage, you know, sort of the, the occasional drug on the weekend. And then I actually lost my job due to my gambling. I was working in a, uh, a hotel at the time um, in, in hotel management and lost that job and it was a really good job doing really well there but my, my party my gambling my drinking was yeah spiraling out of control and I lost my job which then resulted in me obviously not having money um, and then turned to um, some illegal means of, of, um, of, of making money to be able to support my habit of gambling and drugs Okay, well, so we might might take a break there. Um, our first song is by Kaya Mercedes, and it's called After Summer Ends, and it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.
set paradise We both lay here just waste time Neither one of us want this summer to end I, I, I Imagine what it would be like to be homeless in a city under curfew and in lockdown. When your everyday life has been turned upside down and it becomes illegal to be on the street. Tune in to Homeless in Hotels. A three-part radio series giving voice to the people who went from a life on the street to a life in hotels. And the support workers experiencing the shifting ground on the front line of COVID-19. Premiering on Thursday, July 28th, 12pm to 1pm. On 3CR, 855 AM. Homeless in Hotels, a 3CR supporter. Join me, Aya Kwai, with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. 
Ubuntu is a Zulu word meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Today I'm talking with Dan and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Um, So, Dan, before the break, we were talking about losing your job as a result of your drinking and gambling. So would you like to sort of tell us what it was like? You said you turned to, to other means to get income. So do you want to sort of give us a, a day in the life of somebody who's lost their job due to gambling, um, then having to you know, make do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, at this at this point in time, I was uh, I was in a serious relationship, um, and that's my now ex wife, who we've got two beautiful kids with, and thanks to my recovery, we are amazing friends and great co parents. Uh, but at the time, yeah, look, I was sort of like looking for a job, uh, while um, my, my partner was sort of paying the rent and, um, you know, I'd I'd get up every morning and be like, all right, I'm going to go look for a job. And she'd she'd go off to work and I'd be straight on to finding ways to get money just so I could go to the pokies or go to the casino. I actually forgot to mention that um, when I was was talking about my my back injury, I actually got given... um, substantial amount of money for, for compensation um, for that back injury. And I blew half of that at Crown Casino um, in, in not long of a time at all. Um, and to be honest, that was that was the most depressing feeling I've ever felt in the world. Um, and, and you know, sort of like mix the story up a little bit here because this is before I, I'd lost my job. And, um, you know, it, it all came out. You know, I kept it such a secret from, from, from my wife, from my family, because of the shame and, and the guilt that I was, um, you know, just consumed by, uh, that this was, this was money for our future. And, um, yeah, look, that, uh, that, 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 tore a massive hole in me um, and, and my relationship as well. And, um, yeah, and, and then losing the job on top of that because of no, of no money. Um, yeah, look, gambling is, oh, it's, it's probably one of the worst addictions I had because there is, it, it hurts on the physical level, it hurts on the emotional level, it hurts on so many different levels that um, uh, no other addiction has has caused as much pain as that has. And, um, yeah, look, going back to to then finding, trying to find a job, I'd I'd be doing anything to, to just try and find money. I wasn't worried about finding another job. Um, and that actually then resulted in me being incarcerated um, for uh, 14 months. So I did eight months inside and then six months parole, um, which I did six months of parole back in Tasmania. Um, and 
in that space of time in jail, there was no re- rehabilitation whatsoever. It was just, and here I am thinking, okay, I've stopped using now, I've stopped gambling now, um, I'm fine, you know, um, th- things are great, you know, I'm on this great great path and I started up a property maintenance business in Tasmania and, and I had, was working for like three or four real estate agents and everything was going great. So um, my wife and I, we'd, we'd split up whilst I was in jail and, and she saw that things were getting better, so, so it seemed. Um, and, and I, at the time, thought it was as well, but I didn't know anything about my addictions. I didn't know about being a compulsive gambler. I didn't know about being a drug addict. I just thought that, you know, I'm, I'm fixed now. I've stopped doing it. I won't do it again. So, uh, yeah, we got back together. I moved back to Melbourne. Uh, my wife and I got back together. I moved back to Melbourne and then I just had this little thought in the, in the back of my mind just thinking, oh, it'd be okay just to, you know, have, have, have a line or, or have, you know, just one punt, um, or, you know, just be able to do it here and there. And um, look, that, as we all know, it wasn't the case, isn't the case. Um, that, that first punt and that first, you know, that drug was, that lasted three and a half years. Um, and it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. I was living out of my car for a while because I didn't want to let my ex-wife know that I was back using it and back gambling um, because of that shame and that guilt that I was in because things were going well. I thought I was better. Everyone thought I was better and everyone was so proud of me. So I didn't want to let them down. So how did you keep it hidden? Uh, Let's just say I was very good at manipulating and lying. Uh, we we then split up. I was creating lies and and there was like just friction between myself and, and my ex-wife and um, we we had our, our son Xavier who was who was just born. Uh, oh no, sorry, he was two. Ivy was just born, um, and I we didn't want to be in that relationship whilst you know the be like that around the kids. So we split. I, I lived in my car for a little while um, and, yeah, just, just kept it a secret for, for three and a half years um, from her and, and from everyone, really. I was just leading a, a, a separate life, a facade, um, and, yeah, that was, uh, was a really lonely, brutal time. I remember dropping my kids off at you know, because I'd, I'd have my kids, um, you know, two to three days a week, and I remember I'd just drop them off at their mum's after, um, you know, after seeing them. I'd go around the corner and I'd sit in my car and I'd just bore my eyes out for half an hour. The pain inside was just brutal, like, because I didn't want to be living that life. I just didn't know how to get out. I just yeah. saw myself using and gambling until the day I died because I didn't want to tell anyone. Yeah. So did your parents know? They knew parts along the way, obviously, with, with um, being incarcerated. Yeah, that, they did know, but the second uh, after jail, no, they didn't know. I kept it from them, them living in Tasmania. Um, yeah. I guess, and, and this is probably something that's come from being, you know, from my childhood as well. I'd always put on a facade that I was okay. Yeah. You know, big bully. I'm like, no, it's all right. You know, happy-go-lucky. Um, and I guess I was always good at putting on a front that I was okay, um, which obviously is probably what I did in. It, it is what I did um, in the in the later years of my life, especially in the, the the last few years of gambling and using. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the troubles with that is that you you can't remember who you told what story to, um, <laughs> and. So did you find out that it was difficult keeping up different facades with different people? It was so difficult. It was so difficult. My whole life was just revolved around lies and manipulation. And, um, yeah, look, I I tried to keep my communication with my loved ones um, to a bare minimum. Um, Yeah, I really obviously didn't talk to them. Now I, I... you know, I call my parents almost every day just because 
you know, I can and I want to. So before it was like if I needed something, I would call them. Uh, yeah, so I really tried to keep communication to a minimum just because of that exact reason. Yeah. So did you think of reaching out for help? Did you try? Um, no. No, I didn't. I, I honestly thought I would die using um, and gambling. I thought that that's how my life looked. Um, it, and it all comes from shame and guilt. It all comes from shame. Like, I didn't want to let my loved ones know that I'd screwed up again. Yeah. Just, it, it, it wasn't an option. It wasn't an option until it all just became too much. I was put in the back of a, a divvy van for due to um, I was outside a pokey venue. Um, I had drugs on me and this was the breaking point for me. Uh, my sort of like my, my awakening, you know, the, obviously there was a lot leading up to, to, to this happening, but I was put in the back of the divvy van and I lost it emotionally. All I could think about was not being able to see my kids, not my kids, not having a role model father there because I was looking at going to jail again. And that was actually went into the police station and there was, it was literally a good cop, bad cop in there. Um, and like, look, you got two beautiful kids. Look, the good cop was like, you got two beautiful kids, you know, there's this fork in the road. I've never listened to, you know, authorities ever before in the past. And I don't know, it was just a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, that's it. You know, I, I, I'm done with this. And I was seeing uh, a girl at the time and she'd actually been to a rehab before. Um, and she's like, do you really want to, do you really want to do this? Um, and she was actually, I, I like, I owe my life to her in, in some regards because she was the one that put her hand out and said, look, if you really want to do this, I can get you into a rehab. Um, and, yeah, that was just after I'd sort of had that little spiritual awakening, if you like to call it. And, um, yeah, I, I bit the bullet. I'm like, enough's enough. And I checked myself into a residential rehab for two months. And, honestly, it was the best thing I've ever done for myself. So do you want to talk a bit about what sort of rehab it was? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a, a rehab um, for quite a number of addictions. Um, it was a residential rehab um, up in the up in the country, up in Kyneton. Um, I did a month there, and I did a month at a, a residential rehab uh, for addiction down here on the on the Mornington Peninsula where I live. Um, and it was honestly the best thing I've ever done for myself. Um, and, and like I said, I owe my life to this this girl who you know put a hand out and, and and gave me the option because I I'd heard of rehabs but I didn't know what they were uh, you know I knew I needed help but I didn't know what it was I didn't know what help looked like mm. and yeah so spent spent two months inside and, and honestly they introduced me to. NAGA and, and, and the fellowships and honestly walking into a Gambler's Anonymous room was the first time I'd ever felt like I belonged somewhere, like I was unconditionally loved and, and that people could actually understand me. I wasn't alone. And it was honestly the best feeling ever because I couldn't talk to my family about this because they don't understand. Uh, I couldn't talk to a lot of people about it because they, they – People just don't understand addiction if, if if you're not in it or if you're not, you know, sort of if you don't understand the, the principles behind it and the concept behind it and, and, and what it can do to you. So being introduced to fellowships like GA and NA was life-changing for me. Rehab was, like I said, I, I learned so much about myself. I learned why I did the things that I did. I learned what my triggers were. I learned um, so much about myself that I never knew anything about. I never even bothered to, to look into. So 
Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of rehabs. I actually work in one now. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. We might take another break there. Thanks. That second song was also by Kaya Mercedes called I Don't Know Who You Are Anymore, uh, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail loss now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. 
First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Isja Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Isja Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Today I'm talking with Dan and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So Dan, just before the break, uh, we were talking about getting into rehab and uh, finding uh, Gamblers Anonymous and, you know, realising that they sort of understood you without you having to say too much. Um, so what sort of impact did it have on your life? Well, it... Um such a massive impact on my life and not only on my life but all the loved ones around me because I had a place where I could go and, and share how I was feeling and, and learn from other older cleaner members and even members that were you know even still at the same sort of sobriety and, and haven't been gambling for the same time as me and you know just hearing other people's experiences, strengths and hope and, and, you know, sort of how they deal with their compulsion and, and obsession to, to gamble was such a massive impact on my life. And, and like I said, and, and, and everyone around me, you know, my kids, they, they got to see a better version of me um, and, and, and my family, my, my parents, my brothers, everyone that I encounter, I, I just get to, they get a better version of Dan because of the, the, the steps, the, the principles behind um, Gamblers Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and, and all fellowships, you know, how it's just a place that you can go to um, you know, regularly and, and connect with people because, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. So, yeah, Gamblers Anonymous and Narcotics and Fellowships have, uh, I, still, I still go there regularly um, just because I, I heard a great thing the other day and, and recovery is, you should view your recovery as a solar panel um, and, you know, the sun is, is the work that you put into that solar panel. And if you're not recharging that solar panel, and by that I mean, for me, if I'm not going to meetings, if I'm not speaking to other members, if I'm not, um, you know, recharging my recovery, then, you know, my, my life goes pear-shaped. Um, and, and thankfully, I, I'm now at the stage where I don't have the, the compulsion, I don't have the obsession, I don't have the... the the want or need to be able to gamble or to um, to use drugs or, or whatever it may be, but the sports in my head and the, I, I know I run a much better spiritual life if I am working a program of Gambles Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, whatever that, that may be. Um, and yeah, I'm so grateful for the, for the rehab for introducing me that it was a 12-step program and that they did introduce me to, you know, Gamblers Anonymous and, and, and other fellowships. Yeah, okay. Um, one thing I was going to say is that, you know, as a gambler or drug user or alcoholic, honesty is not front and centre because you can't afford people to know things about you and what you do. So how different is it, you know, being honest with people today? It's a beautiful feeling 
it's a beautiful feeling. And, and you know what? Um, the the in in using in gambling, whole life was a lie. Everything was a lie. You know, I'd lie for breakfast, like, and why would I lie about that? But you're in that routine of just lie, lies, lies. And, and today, um, it's a lot of work to. It's it's after doing a lot of work on yourself and, and releasing that shame and. and when you know you are being the best version of yourself, um, speaking your own truth, you know, know, knowing what's what is your sole purpose, which comes after doing a lot of work, and I'm finally at that stage now. Um, yeah, it's such a freeing feeling not not have to lie about what you had for breakfast, <laughs> or, or, or or to the extreme, you know. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful feeling, and do you know what? Sometimes that that old mentality comes out every now and then. I'll go I'll go to say a lot, you know, it, it, it comes out, but I have the awareness around it. I'm like, hold on, Dan, what what why where did that come from? Why are you saying that? So um, you know, th- those things do still come up, but um thankfully I can stop and think and have awareness around my thoughts about what I'm going to say first now. Um which is yeah, it's, it's that that awareness is yeah beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of people don't realise that you can't control your thoughts. Your thoughts happen. It's mm. your response to your thoughts that's the important thing. Whether you say or do what you think, right. uh, you'll say or do. Um, yeah, having that second second chance to uh, to think is would it be a good idea to do that? Yeah, consequential thinking. I I call you know that consequential thinking. I'm like, what is my, what I'm going to say or my behaviours, how is that going to affect myself or others around me? Yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons for not trying to get help is because you're scared and you're scared of what will happen and what people think. So yeah. what, what sort of things kept you from seeking help? Uh, well, for starters, like I didn't even really know about rehab. I didn't know I didn't know where to look for help. Um, and at the same time, I guess it really, and I've said this earlier, it all comes down to shame. It all comes down to not wanting to let others down around me because like I said, they don't understand addiction. And uh, I, I guess even myself at the time, I didn't understand addiction. Um, but, yeah, just that, that, that shame, that coming, living in, a, in, in that state of shame was just, you, you, can't, you can't reach out for help. It's, it's, well, for me personally, it was literally impossible. I had to have someone put their hand out and say, this is what you can do to help yourself. So what, what would you say to people who've got, you know, a, a partner or a friend who, who is gambling, who they're concerned about? What's, what's the best way to, to help? Absolutely. So it's probably the hardest for loved ones, seeing their, their partner, their son, their um, whatever relationship it may be. It, it's honestly the hardest for them. But... Try and not lay that extra, that, that shame and guilt on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, an addict needs love. An addict needs support and empowerment. Um, I would suggest if they haven't before in, in, in recommending going to a, a meeting, um, if they can go into a rehab, um, obviously it, there's, a, there's a massive wait list for public public rehabs at the moment um there's plenty of private rehabs out there if you know if funds can 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 um make make that work but um honestly showing them as much love as humanly possible and, and yeah it's it's really hard for loved ones because i've had a few reach out to me recently um, because i'm very open about um, you know, where I've been and, and, and um, a 
allow people to reach out to me and they are they're really stuck in into what what they can actually do um, my other suggestion would be to if you happen to know someone that has been in addiction or that um, has a lot to do with um, you know mental health and, and that can understand them that's a close family friend I'd say getting them reaching out to, to someone that they may know to speak to that loved one because the person in, addic- in addiction is going to connect better with someone that has been through a similar thing. So if, if, if your loved one isn't willing to go to, um, you know, a meeting on their own or, or they don't like the thought of a rehab, my would be to, if you do, and, and generally in this day and age, I feel that most of us know someone that has been through some sort of, um, I don't know, addiction or, or mental health or that can be of support to to, to that loved one if, if they won't connect that well with you. Yeah, yeah. people often um, don't realise that in their everyday dealings, they're dealing with alcoholics and drug addicts and gamblers. They just don't. Don't realise, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. That's what I've come to realise that uh, <laughs> there's a fair few of us. <laughs> yeah, there is, and there's also a lot of family as well. Um, you know, it's it's very hard for the family to accept that that if you if you you can help too much if you like, you can be too soft, and I think that's the the contradiction is you you're trying to not make it too easy for them to use you but mm. you want to help them try and get help but it's yeah it's a very hard boundary yeah so hard for loved ones yeah so, yeah I, and i guess ultimately i mean I, I was there were interventions for me to you know to try and stop doing what i was doing but ultimately if i didn't want to i wasn't going to be able to to get clean because you really do have to have to want to live and change your life, um, and and you know sometimes it takes people a few goes at it, and, and yeah, just showing the addict love, compassion, connection um, is harder said than done for ones, but is is what we you know what we really need. Yeah. So was your path straightforward once you sought help or was it rocky? Look, it's been uh, look, it's been a roller coaster. I haven't um, I haven't had a slip up once uh, once I did rehab, that's that's been it for me to this day. Um, obviously it was like starting a, a whole brand new life again. Like I'd learned so much about myself, I'd learned so many new things and it was oh, it was a roller coaster um, but a beautiful roller coaster like um, a lot of depression a lot of like what am I going to do with my life now um, and, and my sponsor was just like just trust in the process if you're just doing the next right thing um, everything will work out. And I was like, early days, I was like, what the hell does this mean? I'm like, you're talking such spiritual BS. Like, this just does not make sense. And you know what? I just kept showing up to meetings every day. Yeah. yeah. So can I just ask how your relationship with your wife it has changed? So, so yeah, ex-wife now. But ex-wife, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so beautiful that that going back to that honesty again, it, it took some time to put up trust, but she was actually the first one that I told that I was going to check myself into rehab. I was like, look, this is what I've been doing the last few years. She was really taken back, um, but she's a beautiful human being. She was so supportive. She's like, wow, I'm really shocked. But she said at the same time, like, I'm, you know, I'm so proud of you for, for you know, doing this and, and coming out and, and getting the help before it was too late because, you know, it could have been death. It could have been jail again for a much longer time. Um, and I guess just 
the slow process. It is. It's a slow process. They're just building that trust back up again, building that trust back up again. Um, and do you know what? It's yeah, our relationship's never been better. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. what, what you can do when you're living a, a truthful, honest, purposeful life. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can find them in Victoria on 03 9696 or go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information on recovery from compulsive gambling. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Dan for sharing his gambling and recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous has helped him. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Bill. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature Gabby, uh, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Coming up next, we've got Balanois, uh, hosted by Uncle Tolgium Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in the spirit of Wah on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we've got a song called New Year's Resolution again by Kaya Mercedes, and again, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Enjoy. Breakfast in bed on the weekends, busy days during up at the ceiling, this is what it was all about. Champagne with our friends, so cheering. New year, new me, this feeling can never bring us down. But I fell down somehow. These high hopes turn to empty promises. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.